Today on Politics Explained, I am interviewing a friend and colleague and also another scholar, Stefan Wojcik. Stefan, if I just pronounced your last name incorrectly, I'm sorry. We've worked together before. You've actually taught me statistics software in the past. I'm very embarrassed if that was not correct. And it's probably not. Speaking of probability, that's one of the things... <laughs> okay, probability and probably are not the same word. I caught myself. Ooh. Anyway, Stefan and I had a wonderful conversation about polling and surveys in the 2016 presidential election and abroad, and we're trying to bridge the gap in public understanding of what polls can actually tell us about the world in which we live. And also, we do our due diligence in trying to combat skepticism about polls in the wake of their inability to you know, properly predict the direction of the 2016 presidential election outcome. Stefan is a data scientist and also has a PhD in political science from the University of Colorado Boulder, where I'm currently studying. Stefan is also a talented scholar with publications in many large, well-established journals like Political Research Quarterly, International Political Science Review, and also a recent paper in Science. Here I catch up with Stefan and we talk politics of polling. Enjoy! Okay, Stefan, so you claim to know a thing or two, or maybe you haven't claimed it yet, but from what I've read, you know a thing or two about polling and using polls to make predictions about what's going to happen in the world using observations of what already has happened. But in the United States, we just witnessed the 2016 presidential election where nearly all polling firms, these are people who do it professionally, they collected survey data, they aggregated it, they had their own house weights applied in some cases, but most of them, if not all, predicted the election wrong. So how much faith should we have going forward in the endeavor of polling? Well, I think that we should have a good amount of faith in polls because the Past evidence shows us that polls are actually the best indicator of the outcome that we have. But that said, they're not perfect by any stretch, and we need to be really careful about the confidence bounds that we put on our predictions when we use polls. So, what what would allow? What about our polling methodology, or maybe the samples that we're polling, can give us more confidence that you know what we see in the polls is actually going to come true? Yeah, I think there are a couple different ways that we can increase confidence in our estimates using polls. I think yeah. we can we can start with we can start with as much data as we can, and in the paper that we're we're kind of talking about, we sort of expand beyond the U.S. so that we can get at more cases to sort of see, sort of get a better picture of how good polling is more generally. But we can, we can do other things, like we can aggregate in really intelligent ways across different polling firms. Um, you mentioned waiting. Waiting is a, good, is a good strategy, especially if you have lots of different pollsters with long histories of producing polls. And you can really just dig into the data deeply and see how far you can push them um, and be careful to not overfit the data, not have a, a model that is getting at sort of idiosyncrasies in the data and try to look at it honestly and, and be a good scientist. 
Yeah. So you mentioned going outside of the context of the United States, and I think that that's important. And, you know, we have an example. Recently, we saw in the runoff portion of the French presidential election that the polls were not very far off. In fact, they had Macron winning, and in fact, he did. You know, mm-hmm. But a lot of people have said that American polls were actually more precise. They just didn't have maybe the direction correct. So, so what's maybe, yeah. can you give us some insight into what's different about French or American polling or you know, wh- why do we think that French polling is so much better? Is it? <laughs> no, I don't think it is. Um, in fact, I think it's it's harder to poll something like the French election because you have restrictions like you can't I believe you can't poll a certain period of time before the election. Um, and there mm-hmm. are many, many parties. Um, and, it, it, you know, France is a history of, of having very quickly changing electoral landscapes um, where, where one candidate will get will get a boost and, and another will, will drop fairly quickly in a short period of time, which is typically not the case in the U.S., but I think we, we, yeah, I think you said it, we sort of fixate on the outcome rather than the error. So in 2012, the polls were correct in the prediction uh, of the outcome. They predicted that Obama would win the election. And therefore, we didn't, we didn't get sort of up in arms or, or look very carefully at the degree of error, how far the polls were off from the outcome because mm-hmm. they got the overall result correct. But error yeah. is error is error. And uh, in, in 2016, the polls were actually, the, the national polls were actually the same margin off um, as they were in 2012. And so, yeah, yeah we sort of yeah. fixated on the, on the incorrect result rather than the degree of error. So you said, you said the national polls were on, and anyone who's been following kind of you know, Nate Silver and other people who are kind of busy every day chugging out articles on what went wrong with polling in the 2016 election, they're going to point you in the direction of, yeah, survey weights were probably part of it, but a, it probably wasn't something like shy Trump voters. But a big piece of the story that I've heard is that we need better polling at the state level. And so I, mm-hmm. I guess as someone who is engaged more in the endeavor of polling and kind of getting these surveys out, like what does that look like mechanically? Are there already firms in place in the states and they just need better funding and more resources? Or is this kind of a ground up endeavor that we're going to have to engage in if we want it for our democracy, if we really do want better statewide and you know, overall national predictions of who's going to win these contests? Yeah, that's a really, that's a really good question. So the polling landscape, as, as far as I see it, is better in swing states than it is in non-swing states. Mm-hmm. So you get pretty dense polling um, in states known to be competitive, and you get uh, pretty sparse polling in states known to be non-competitive, and that's fine. It's not. It's not a big problem. I think the bigger issue is is actually getting at subgroups and really being smart about getting very specific types of people um, that are critical. We've learned in this last cycle in in determining the election. So. We didn't do the best job at getting at non-college voters, for instance, in the last election. We didn't do very well mm-hmm. getting at turnout among black voters this last election. And those turned out to be critical subgroups that really, that really defined the, the, the narrative post-election. And, and so I think yeah. the, the real endeavor for, for polling is to get at these subgroups very, very carefully and to be smart about the methodology that we use to get 
at these subgroups. And I'm, I'm going to put you in the hot seat then just because you posed that question. <laughs> do you think there's a – yeah, exactly. Sorry. Uh, do you think there's a, a medium of surveying that or polling that can get us there? So I'm talking about, you know, do we want automated phone calls? Do we want uh, people going to your door and interviewing you? Like what kind of method of polling is going to help us get those maybe underrepresented but critical groups into, you know, our sample? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's another really uh, really good question, a really important one. I think that we have to use all of the tools that we have available. So we have to use random digit dialing, so phone surveys. We have to we have to use internet surveys. Um, we should also use some social media data. We should we should try to see if we can disambiguate certain sections of Twitter. See if we could potentially get some data from from sources like Facebook. Um, to try to supplement the existing sort of longstanding uh, traditional survey approaches. I think we have to use sort of all of the data that we have and try to, you know, think about how representative is this chunk of data, is is that chunk of data, and do, you know, intelligent smoothing and reweighting in order to correct for, for biases that will certainly be inherent in the data, but I think using all of the sources that we have will do better than using, say, just traditional polls. Hi there, everyone. This is Ian Shapiro. I'm the host of Politics Explained. You've heard my voice a few times throughout this interview, hopefully making some interesting points and contributions to what Stefan has to say. Anyway, I just wanted to take a moment to tell you about Anchor. Anchor is actually the service that is like super hosting this podcast. You may be seeing it on Google Play, through the Anchor app, or on iTunes. Uh, Any of those are great, but obviously, Anchor is amazing because it allows you with basically just a few taps of a button and just a little bit of time to produce your own podcast. All you need is your phone that you're holding in your hand probably right now and you know the Anchor app. You can record uh, and you know organize episodes of content and then they do all the crazy technical work and get your content up onto iTunes and Google Play and they're working really hard to get other platforms up there. They give you access to your own RSS feed where you can then share your content beyond those platforms that are currently available. The point is it is the easiest way for you, that's right, you, even an amateur content creator, to get your content to people, right? Discoverability, shareability, that's what it's all about. We're all here together, loving audio, loving the medium, loving each other. Mm, Do I love each other and all of you and myself? It's very important. Self-love is very, very important. Anyway, check out the Anchor app. It's how I am making this podcast, and so I want you to have that same opportunity also. I actually recorded my interview with Stefan on the Anchor app. It also has an interview feature where you can call people and record. It's got so much stuff, guys. I can't stop gushing about this. Um, So, hey, you're almost at the end of the interview. Thank you so much for sticking with me. I super appreciate it. I, I don't say it enough. I love everyone who listens to this show. I try to do the best I can to put up good quality content and, uh, you know, just give you a better day, just a better 10 minutes of your day. So anyway, I'm Ian Shapiro here with Politics Explained on Anchor, and uh, enjoy the rest of the interview. Okay, I have, I have one final question for you, Stefan. Are you ready? <laughs> yes. You have a lot of information in your mind and that you've written about. You've got a lot <laughs> of data, and I want you to use this data to make a prediction about polling and surveys in the 2018 or 2020 cycle, 
what will be the biggest change that we see in either how surveys are conducted in the United States or at least how survey information is communicated to the mass public? Mm-hmm. What, what have we, essentially, see... what have we learned from 2016? <laughs> yeah, I, I think we're going to talk – well, one of two things will happen. Either we will um, have some amnesia and we'll go right back into um, <laughs> having blind faith in the polls – um, oh, maybe maybe one of three outcomes. <laughs> we'll, we'll just continue ooh, to say ooh. that the polls the polls are garbage. <laughs> we'll continue to say that the polls are, are are untrustworthy, or or we will start to have faith in them again, um, and, but not consider the uncertainty surrounding them. Or a third option, which I think is, is most likely actually falling on the heels of 2016, is we'll start to we'll start to think about confidence intervals and and uncertainty about predictions. Mm-hmm. And realize that when someone makes a a prediction that puts an eighty percent probability on something, that means that eight out of ten times that outcome uh, will occur, but two out of the ten uh, times that outcome will not occur. Um, and that is just the nature of of probability. And so we we won't uh, we won't be all that all that shocked when an eighty twenty prediction turns out to be uh, that the the twenty percent rather than the eighty percent. That's that's great, and I I knew I knew it. This is this is a plug for me. I knew I could count on your expertise to help me understand the outcome of twenty sixteen and kind of the public's inclination towards polling after this whole endeavor. It's been enlightening for me, and I know it will be for everyone listening. Hey, Stefan, thank you so much. This has been a true pleasure, and I hope to speak to you again on this topic and others in politics. It was a pleasure for me too. Thank you very much, Ian. <laughs>